You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith in conversations with my friends and family. And this week, I'm talking with a friend who is kinfolk about folks who are skinfolk. The behind-the-scenes tea is that we were supposed to record back in January, but I literally fell asleep on the job. So here we are in March now, but everything about this feels strangely right on time. So, without further ado, finally, episode 2.5, let's go. When I first my friend Janae. And (laughs) Janae, I met in 2016. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah, I want to say, I want to say early in 2016, but it might not have been. I don't know. I know she came to my connect group. Sure did. And just like immediately fit right in. It was like, (laughs) she's always been there. Um, and I want to say it was early because I always, I just always feel like I've known you for longer than I have. Yeah. Um, because I left Hillsong in 2017, you know, so obviously shut the connect group down then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that kept me, kept me hanging on towards the end was my connect group. I was like, oh, like I can't, can't leave my girls. Uptown girls. Um, yeah. Yeah, up there in the Heights. And yeah, you were, were one of my girls. But everybody had started, not everybody, but a lot of a lot of my girls had started moving away, going to school, whatever. So the group was kind of kind of just naturally breaking up on its own. So it just felt like, okay, yeah. this is this is a good time. So to not not start taking on anyone new, just mm-hmm. like, you know, all right, keep the girls that I have and then shut it down and then let them go and and kind of have to be like, ah, oh, like the ones who are still in Hillsong. I'm, I mean, I'm not throwing them to the wolves. They chose the wolves already. Like they. Yeah. <laughs> you know. we put that with our own agency, what was left of it, at least. <laughs> right. Right. Like, I mean, I, I, I have them because because of Hillsong. Like, you know, that's how we came together. So, I mean, they'll be they'll be fine. Question mark. Hey. Um, and then you, you were this firebrand anyway. And so mm-hmm. when I left, I feel like you kind of inherited a lot of the work mm-hmm. I was doing. You know, I had been the person pushing Carl and having these conversations about race and, and all of that. And then I had obviously given up. <laughs> <laughs> As one must do to preserve (laughs) one's sanity and health. (laughs) And then you, and I don't know at the time, I don't know that I knew that I knew that was going to be like your, your role. I think you, um, I know you must have recognized something in me because um, I remember in connect group, I was just bustling 
um, bubbling at the seams, like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, so excited. I got chosen to be a connect group leader. And like, I want to hold space the way that you're holding space and create and cultivate this community. Um, and I remember once you just looked me dead in the eye and said, good luck. But it wasn't in a way that it wasn't like bitter or snarky. It was like a sincere, heartfelt, like, oh, you don't know what's coming. And it's not my role to tell you. You'll you'll know when you arrive, but there's a journey there and there's a truth for you to experience. And maybe that won't be your experience, but I see so much similarities or, you know, there was a kinship there. And I think you, you knew what was up ahead of me and I hadn't quite gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, you know, cause when I was leaving Hillsong, I didn't have, I mean, I was still very much questioning for myself. I was like, I, I think, I think I'm doing the right thing here. Like, I don't think this place is going to change, but still, you know, Hillsong, Hillsong will humble you. Um, and will strip you of your agency, um, but also of, and I'm going to use the word arrogance, but that's not, that's not the right word. Um, confidence, your confidence and kind of like yeah. your knowing of things. And so, so yeah, so I could leave and, and know for myself, like, I just don't think this place is going to change, yeah. but also having to hold that kind of tension and that humility of maybe, maybe it just wasn't for me. Like maybe mm-hmm. I was supposed to do, you know, this much work and somebody else was going to, you know, take it. And maybe, maybe somebody else can change it. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say now, <laughs> nobody else can change it. <laughs> <laughs> Although, wow, what a, what an effort and what a attempt. It was a valiant effort of so many have tried and mm-hmm. thus far, I mean... I, I haven't quite seen the fruits of the labors, but I've seen a lot of labor. <laughs> a lot of labor. A lot of labor. labor. And you know what? No, we'll we'll get into it in a minute, but I think there is fruit. It's not the fruit we were expecting. Mm. Um, but yeah. there's definitely been fruit. Um, but that's a very Christian-y kind of term. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, figure out who's having this conversation here. So, Janae, give me give me three things that make someone a Christian. Three things. All right. They're all long winded, but I will try to be as concise Um, for me and how Mm -hmm. I've come to understand what it means to be a Christian. It's a consensual identity um, that you resonate with. Preferably, I'm of the camp of, you know, I prefer enthusiastic consent. So like not forced consent uh, (laughs) or fear based. Um, so, you know, that strikes out colonization, but we'll get into that. Um, so that's one, um, enthusiastic, uh, consent. You're in a con- enthusiastic consent, um, relationship where you're like, yeah, I, I want to identify, want to be identified with this faith tradition. Um, two, you align and believe in the liberation and abolition that this Palestinian Jewish, man named Jesus was about um like that resonates with you on a core level and if that resonates with you three you're actively a participant a community builder of working towards liberation of others 
working towards your own liberation and cultivating spaces of life, um, cultivating spaces that are honoring, give dignity to people. Um, yeah. So that's what I think a Christian is. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going to say, yeah, you're definitely a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I I self-identify as a loyal critic. I am a loyal critic to the Christian tradition. I, I better say that because I'm on ordination track at seminary. So, <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> among among many many things, and for me, um, maybe I'm trying to decide. Just on point number one, I'm like, do I want to be identified with this? Mm -hmm. Is this enthusiastic consent from me? And the fact that I'm thinking about it will probably say no. So. Cool. Again, I'll be Christian-ish this week. Not not completely there, but I'm not, definitely not anti that. that. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. I'll take an ish. I love the ish. I love the in-betweens and the complex nuance. That's where I, that's my jam. So I'll take it. Ish. The traditional Christian tradition does not like issues. It does not like gray areas. It is very black and white. So give us a quick rundown of how in the world you are this person <laughs> studying mental health on an ordination track, you know, using enthusiastic consent to describe <laughs> Christianity because there were seeds of this girl mm -hmm. that I met in my connect group in 2016. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't here yet. No. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, mm, how did I get here? I think, like you said, there were seeds, but I think it took really getting buried to know what was there and buried Ooh. did I get <laughs> um yeah I when we met in 2016 I had been there for about a year mm. and within that year it was kind of like a whirlwind I was just all in it was completely encompassing my social life and wood for the next couple of years um you know threw myself into serving on host team and gave that all that I had and then um, did that for a couple of years and then felt like, okay, you know, I really want to understand what is it to hold space for people in, in the midst of their trauma, in the midst of a difficult circumstance and environment and how do we create space for them? Not just like person to person, like I see you, I see you in all that you encompass, but also like, how do we as a community provide mutual aid? How do we, mm -hmm. so it wasn't just like, I want to be pastoral to someone and like pray over them and, you know, hold space and hear their story. I really wanted to understand um, how do we create systems of care, right? So how do we equip people with tangible resources, right? So like you are being suffocated with poverty. How do we as a church community and a people of honoring people where they are, how do we honor your circumstance? How do we get you funds? How do we make sure your belly is full? Mm -hmm. um, 
so I joined the pastoral care team and, um, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't, it wasn't quite what it was a lot of the former of, you know, holding space for people, praying with them and, and sometimes connecting them to, um, external resources. But the more I was in it, the more questions I got of like, what is our policies about how we treat people with dignity, especially people who have different identities on our, ourselves? So um, the impoverished, the mentally ill, um, queer folk, um, disabled folk. And the more I was in it, I was leading it for a little bit. Um, I was leading a team and the higher... I'm convinced the higher you go up in leadership, <laughs> Hillsong, the more you see the belly of the beast. Um, <laughs> the more you see how, as an organization, we've structured it to not be as life-giving and affirming and honoring as we market ourselves to be. And so I saw more and more pain and hurt and traumatic experiences that was felt unnecessary, that people didn't have to have these, you know, like we, we could do better. We had access to so many resources, so many experts, so many people with experience. And it felt like all of these people are being harmed and it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be this way. Um, Andre Henry says all that, like, it doesn't, it truly doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that question started to become more and more apparent as I went on. Um, Yeah, and it just kind of came to a head um, in about 2018 where, I don't know, I just looked around me one day and it hit me, you know, I was always running around on a Sunday, you know, 12 to 14 hour days. And I'd always felt so privileged and honored that I get to build this house and I was a leader and all these different things. And then it hit me, I'm like, am I building a kingdom that I'm not even invited to <laughs> that, you know, people I love and honor and admire and respect aren't being asked to partake in, but they wouldn't be welcome if they showed up in their whole self, whether that's, you know, friends I had made who were homeless or queer friends or friends mm-hmm. with disabilities and just all these different questions. And I was like, Oh, oh, I'm building something that I'm not, I'm not a part of. I'm not, I am a part of actually. No, I think it's important to say we, I was a part of it. I was an active participant and I was complicit in the harm that the organization and community did. I did that, but I was also, I became aware that I wasn't going to be invited to the feast of all the fruit of all this labor I was putting into. (laughs) Um, I was only valuable for the labor I provided and yeah. that was a reckoning to have. That's funny how we all have, yeah, like that moment. And it looks it looks different for each of us. Mm-hmm. Like for me, like it was watching the, yeah, the child of a friend like react to, mm-hmm. you know, her and her brother were playing and he like knocked her hat off something, something to do with her hair. And I was like, like just joking around with it. I'm like, oh, like you don't, like you never touch a black woman's hair, you know? And mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not black. I'm not black. Like I'm brown. I'm brown. I'm not black. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, and not that, not that Hillsong did that, 
mm-hmm. but Hillsong wasn't helping. I was like, there's nothing yeah. in this place that that's any different, mm-hmm. you know, from the world. There's nothing in here that is instilling her or instilling me with any more confidence in being black. Like, yeah. and I was like, I would never, I would never want to raise a child in this. Like mm-hmm. I, I would not, I don't want the next generation to have to go fight the same shit I'm going through or like, you yeah. know, break down these, <laughs> these same barriers. Like I don't, yeah. So I was like, oh, like this is not, the same it's not safe. Yeah. Mm-mm. This is not a safe, this is not healthy. <laughs> yeah. For me. Yeah. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta find the exit and, yeah. and fast because, um. I'm going to get drowned if I don't. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's interesting to be in spaces that um, market themselves or, you know, I think intentionally have the intentions to want to do better and want to fix things or address things. Um, And they're supposed to be these safe spaces, right? I no longer believe in safe spaces. I believe in safer spaces because no space will ever be truly safe, right? Um, just like I recognize I will never always be safe for everyone. Um, and I need to be aware of that, but, um, the assumption that because you're in a certain team or in a certain role, um, this assumed innocence or this assumed goodness and intention and Hillsong's really good at focusing on intention. Um, you know, with things of like, you know, well, what, what was their heart behind it? Um, but they're not great at owning the harm and the impact of things. And so I was in this weird space where I was in these positions and leadership and working towards being safe spaces, right? Like I helped on the racial reconciliation ministry and (laughs) um, (laughs) I always giggle after that. (laughs) Um, but, and pastoral care and, you know, here I am trying to be this safe person, realizing I can't be a safe person if the policies don't match up, if the conversations aren't whole, if I can only address a specific part of your identity and only make that specific part of your identity feel somewhat safe, I'm failing. I am not honoring the fullness of your story. If I can, you know, that was my issue with um, racial reconciliation. It was like, we will only be talking about race. We will not be addressing the the distinct experience of what it is to be a black woman, which is very different from being a black man. We will right. not um, talk <laughs> about- Especially in Hillsong. Ooh, <laughs> ciao. <laughs> um, we won't discuss that being a black queer woman is different than being a heterosexual black woman. We will not discuss how being a disabled (laughs) black woman, (laughs) queer black woman is different from all of the, you know, there was no intersectionality and that was really frustrating. Um, And so I asked again and again, can we, because it's not just theory. These people are in our community and we're telling them, leave all those other identities at the door because the only identity that matters is that you are a child of God. And that is more than enough, but it isn't. It's a part of it. It's a part of the bigger picture. Um, so all these questions started coming up and I was like, oh, 
<laughs> I'm leaving with more questions than answers. And it wasn't just the culture, it was policy stuff that was coming up too. And so I was like, ooh, I started to feel it. I started to really weigh heavy on my soul, on my mental health, on my relationships. Um, Cause I started asking too many questions. <laughs> We both know how that goes. <laughs> it's a big old, big old no-no. Which is funny because like talking about, yeah, how much they lean into intention and the heart, you know, the heart of whoever doing whatever. But then it's, you know, and we had a moment like that in that last little interaction we had with Carl. But it's like, Carl gets to tell me what his heart is. Like I, it doesn't matter how I took it or, you know, what happened. He gets, he gets to determine what his heart is and he gets to tell me that. But at the same time, he also gets to determine what my heart is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get to say, I, I can say what my heart is, but like, he gets to refute that. Yeah. But like, I can't refute his. So it was always just this very one way, you know, intention only worked one way and so you know we would be trying to have these trying to have these discussions for the sake of having discussion and you know at least he wants to talk about it and like (laughs) you know burying ourselves so much just just for the sake of you know we got it we got it we got to talk right like that's the only way things are going to change so I'm going to keep swallowing this and you know pushing this down and just making all these allowances and just compromising 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 yeah because this this is the battle right like we have to we have we have to make changes and we have to you know give love time it. for the changes you know and love is long suffering don't you want to be here in 20 40 years um Ooh. And know that you were part of making this happen and you were part of creating the foundation for this. What a, what a, what a celebrating moment to look back and think you sacrificed and now you're here. Yeah. That's how you, they get you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. They, they condition you to starve and then they give you breadcrumbs and then they don't have to convince you that you're full. You start to convince yourself when you yeah. forgot that you were promised a feast and you are sustaining yourself off of breadcrumbs. Ain't that something? It's, it's amazing. It'd be your own. It'd be your own. It'd be your own. It'd be your own. And so, so now I, I'm the same as you. Like I have to reckon almost daily with like my complicity in, yeah. you know, this whole thing. And I have to look at Hillsong now and you know, I'm not responsible for all of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not even responsible for a lot of it, but I am responsible for some of it. And there are certain things that I look at and I can't help but feel like, oh my God, like I helped them. Mm-hmm. I taught them how to trick the system, yeah. you know, in this, in this aspect and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So then we get to, to 2020 <sighs> and stuff stuff starts I mean COVID takes a lot of stuff out and you know things start changing and whatever and so Hillsong has got to got to do something to (laughs) boost the numbers or look relevant or you know we're we care we're here and hey guess what guys guess what we have got in 2020 (laughs) our first black 
Lead Pastors. We're coming to Atlanta, y'all. Glory be. And you too can be a colonizer. (laughs) (laughs) That's what came to mind. Um, Because, you know, not not all white saviors are white. And so... So then and now, like to this day, and it's, it doesn't feel as awkward because I have lost my field of futzes bare. Like I just don't have many anymore. But like, I do feel a type of way. And I was thinking about this a lot this week. I'm like, Hillsong is good at setting personalities up against each other. Like making it look like you're fighting a person when you're actually like fighting this organization. So, like, I have to feel some type of way that I'm, like, coming against Sam Collier. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm calling him out, you know, and trying to be like, dude, don't, don't do this. Don't, you know, this, this is not good. It's not good. But, like, for me as a Black woman to be, like, fighting this Black man, like, it just doesn't look good on any front. And it also kind of you know, goes back to that whole thing of, well, who are you to say? Like, maybe, you know, Sam's thing is, well, I think I can be the change. And I think it's important to name that, like, we call out our own, right? We hold our own accountable. Um, And in that, recognizing that our own are more than capable of doing harm, And so you recognizing that this individual will do harm that doesn't need to be a reality. And so the calling out, or rather I call it calling in because you're like, let me tell you, you know, I'm not coming at this as I'm not a rookie. You know, I've I've been through this and I've sacrificed and I know, I know what will happen. You know, it's like the same kind of good luck um, that you gave me many years ago. Um, I think it's important. I think it's also important. We we tend not to talk about this at Hillsong because they tend to get you with a, well, we treat so-and-so, that one white, that one token <laughs> black or brown um, person well, and they made staff. Um, I think yeah. they dangle that in front of us and, and what people don't talk about is the intersection of race and class. We hear a lot about race, but we don't talk about class. Um, And so you're seeing a specific social economic class, even if they're black or brown, um, Mm -hmm. being treated differently. And that's important to name. And so Sam isn't going to be treated, you know, like somebody who was on whatever team volunteering, even if that person put in the same amount of hours that Sam will be putting in a certain uh, class will separate them. And so that treatment is significant, Um, but we don't name that. Yeah. And it's not just, not just class because it's, um, I mean, obviously that has to be there, but it's also very much a a culture issue Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was like, oh, I have to stop asking people, you know, and talking about, you know, what did you grow up with 
any black leaders or black pastors or whatever. I'm like, no, the question is, did you grow up with any decolonized? Mm -hmm. Are you decolonized? Like black or white, doesn't matter. And so like with Sam, I'm like 100% not. Like you you have been chosen for this. Because of your socialization. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, um, I call it small betrayals, what small betrayals you've been conditioned to um, participate in, to yourself. Um, And most of the time it's not intentional, but they add up. Yeah. Because one thing we don't, I mean, there's so many things we just don't publicly, you know, discuss at Hillsong or about Hillsong. (laughs) But I'm like, you guys, you couldn't have even... Sam and his wife, they've been brought in from outside of Hillsong. Like, obviously, they're in the the sphere, but they're not Hillsong people Mm -hmm. yet. I mean, they are now, but, you know, but you guys couldn't have sourced a Black couple from your own leadership because you don't have one. Like, you've got lots of Black men on staff, a few, few Black women. But these are all people in interracial relationships. Like, so none of the black men that you have are married to a black woman. Mm-hmm. And it's things like that where, you know, if you say that, it's like, then you have to go on the defense. So, like, I have nothing against interracial relationships. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You're looking at somebody in an interracial marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no issues. But are we allowed to quit? Like, that's weird, right? Like when. Absolutely. That's that's strange. Because because you have to honor the distinct experience of both. And so those two coming together, it it shapes the framework in which they serve from. But I want to throw a wrench into into this. Um, While... So, you know, Sam's, and they're now a Hillsong thing. I'm curious, will we be incorporating Black theologians into the services? I already know the answer, but because we ain't never seen, you know, we ain't never seen. I've never heard a sermon um, based on any Black theologian. And God forbid, I haven't heard anything regarding womanist theology um, oh come on look you're what <laughs> you can forget about latin american liberation theology or Muadisa theology you know well let me let me throw a wrench at your wrench Ooh. has hillsong had any theologians oh the answer to that would be no i'm still like i'm i'm curious as I've begun my seminary experience in grad school. Um, I've noticed things that other organizations in the Christian tradition do. They tend to, you know, be very open. Like this is where the pastor or reverend or minister went to seminary and this is their degree and this is their specialty. Um, So some people focus on social ethics, some people on church history, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, I haven't really found much or any 
credentials for Hillsong, quote unquote, pastors. I don't see from what denomination you're ordained through. What was your ordination process? Um, and so that that lack of process, which is there for a reason, right? Like accountability. Um, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> you you go through these processes, these long, um, difficult, um, extensive processes to make sure that you are responsible and. I, you know, I think back to the person that looked a lot like me, that was brown, and all I could think of was, ooh, when I grow up, I just want to be, I just want to be her. You know, I want to, that's all I can think mm-hmm. about, right? Like, I would, ooh, I would pray. I would think of, like, ooh, what what degree do I need to get? Only to realize that this person um, doesn't have, got mad degrees, but doesn't got a degree in psychology doesn't have a degree in doesn't have her msw or mental health counseling and so that lack of appreciating expertise Mm. um you know i think it's important to note there's a lack of appreciation for expertise of there's a lot of appreciation for experience you've been around for a long time we're going to reward that but there's very little honoring of no I have worked very very diligently with others to keep me accountable and I've done the work and I've been responsible bringing up that word (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no no I mean I would I would encourage people and this isn't like to take a like a cheap shot or anything but I would encourage people you know look into your pastor's credentials ask them where they went to seminary and research if that seminary is accredited <laughs> what but Janae <laughs> God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called and see I think because there's a lack of actual theology going on at Hillsong we accept that but that's wrong when we actually study scripture you see that a lot of these people, a lot of these characters that were trying to be like were experts in their field to the point that they could be um, in that time. Jesus studied extensively at the synagogue. He wasn't just pulling things, you know, out of thin air. <laughs> um, none of yeah, and even when you, when you... Th- yeah, when you think about, you know, the disciples and they want to pull out, you know, all these uneducated fishermen and whatever. And it's like you couldn't there's a level of uneducated you couldn't be because like these guys, they're Jewish men. Like they had to have known they what was the, five, the first five books of like their level of uneducated is not our level of no. uneducated. Like they all came in with a base level of knowing scripture. Yeah. And it wasn't just knowing scripture, it was memorizing. It was, and it wasn't just memorizing scripture, but it was really taking the time to pull it apart, having margin in their life to really pull this apart and really understand what does this theology mean? Not just, you know, Jewish liberation theology. And we do not honor that. We just kind of sprinkle in, catchy phrases 
we'll grab a verse or two from Luke or Romans, but there's no actual extensive studying of what we're trying to live out. So that's, that's misleading. And it's, it's very misleading to say, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call It's very misleading. And it's very disrespectful to the work that ancestors have done. Don't dis don't diminish the intelligence and the expertise that people before us had. They worked right. for it. Yeah. But like you said, Hillsong doesn't doesn't value education. Education doesn't matter. I don't even know that experience is the right word because I think it's it's just time. Mm -hmm. Because you could be in Hillsong for years, have done nothing useful or done bad, but you've been there and they know you yeah. and you can get promoted just off of that. So now, and not saying this person is bad or has done bad stuff, but you know, Hillsong has a new, Hillsong East Coast has a new lead pastor mm -hmm. coming in. And he is a brown man mm -hmm. from Australia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Coming to New York City mm -hmm. to rescue, restore, and rebuild. It's revival season, Janice. <laughs> and we've got a front seat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't have anything against this individual. Like you said, it's not the individual. It's their participation in this system and so i did see the news and i hope if anything because what's done it's done right like we can't we can't have a come to jesus moment with him right <laughs> and be like don't do it don't harm your own or rather not his own you know it's not his own but i do hope he heeds from the mistakes of those that came before him and I hope, if I have one hope, is I hope he's able to locate himself. I hope that he has the ability to recognize I am a brown man in a city that is not my own. And so I need to be very mindful of the language and the framework from which I operate on. Um, because this is not a culture I am part of but I am going to inflict a kind of universal culture of Hillsong and it's gonna stick somehow. And I hope he's aware of that. I hope he's aware of the role he is playing. You have more hope than me. Like, and a friend, a friend brought up a good point yesterday. Like she, you know, she was like, well, I don't even, I don't even know like how much say they even have in it. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Like, I don't, you know, you belong to Hillsong. Hillsong tells you yeah. when and where to go. Um, because I just can't imagine just just at this time. And I mean, America is not, it ain't what it used to be. It's not the new shiny thing. Like, I don't feel like people were like clamoring, you know, to come here. Mm -hmm. Like they might've been, you know, 10 years ago. And to look at this country that is, struggling in so many ways and to like choose to move your family of six here at a time like this. I'm like, I don't, don't know 
I don't know what reasonable person would like would make that decision. So it's probably like, oh, this this is probably very much like and you know, it's like you're in the military and they, they tell you where to go and this is your new station, you know, and you're going. But I'm like, it's dangerous. It's dangerous and irresponsible on so many, so many levels, even just for him and for his, his daughters. You are brown people coming to this place. And I don't think you're ready for what that means. You know, I think power dynamics is important to think about when you think about relationships, even professional relationships, which is, which in Hillsong, it's interesting, right? Because it's both a professional relationship and a personal relationship that you have with others. And so there's certain boundaries or lack of boundaries um, that happen. And so here's this, here's Brian who has built this multi-million global church organization, right? Saying, hey, I think you have what it takes to lead this there's a lot of power dynamics at play. There's a lot of imbalanced power dynamics at play, um, just racially, but also Mm -hmm. position wise. Um, And so I never, I try really hard not to judge folks who stay because I don't know what power dynamics are keeping them there. Uh, A lot of folks, unfortunately, and this isn't, this isn't their fault. I don't fault them for this, but a lot of them don't have the qualifications or credentials or degrees to be in the positions that they are. And that's not necessarily entirely their fault, but it does create a very sticky situation because you depend on this place for your economic well-being. Um, mm-hmm. And not just your economic well-being, but your emotional well-being, your spiritual well-being, um, your social well-being. And so it's an economy of, of, of all sorts of things. And so when you step out of that, it can be a very difficult transition. And so I extend compassion to those who stay because they know that if they can't get the same job or they wouldn't be paid the same that they are here. Even if they, I know there's people on staff um, that are like, I don't agree with mm-hmm. how we handle things or policies or culture, and but they can't leave because they know I don't have that degree or I don't have the qualifications or the skill set to do something similar to this. And so I depend on this. And especially when you compound that with a global pandemic, that has, you know, wiped through our economy. So many people have lost jobs. It can be a very scary thing, um, especially now. And so I think more now more than ever, we should be aware of power dynamics at play. And maybe, you know, he is also very hopeful that he can bring his identities to the conversation and think, you know, maybe I can change, I can shift the culture here. Which I'm, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that he will shift some conversations and some culture, but you can have as many fruitful conversations. But if you don't change your policies, global, not just East Coast, but globally, because these incidences and harm and trauma and abuse and cycles of abuse are coming from everywhere around this globe, and we got receipts. <laughs> 
Um, and so I think it's, it's more, it's less, again, it's less about him yeah. and it's more about the big picture organization. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in some ways it feels like, I don't know. It's like, what do we, are we just shouting into the wind? Because I can have all the hope in the world for Krishan. I can have, <laughs> I can call in Sam Collier all day long, mm -hmm. but like I have no, no faith, no hope in Hillsong as a global structure, as an organization changing anything. Mm -hmm. Like Hillsong will will say what Hillsong needs to say in the moment to, you know, keep people on board or keep people thinking, whatever. But like, that's not that's not moving. That's not changing. No. So it's like, how do I like, what are we doing? Like, is it are we just I mean, so when I'm calling out Sam, I'm not even necessarily speaking to Sam or doing it for him. Like, I would hope he would listen. But it's mostly performative in the sense that I hope other people are watching and this makes somebody else think. Yeah. Something. Yeah. No, we don't, we don't call in anyone at Hillsong for, you know, it'd be great if they had a shift in understanding and um, listen to something and are profoundly changed by it. Wonderful. Amazing. Beautiful. I want that for them too. But these call-outs or call-ins aren't for them as an organization. They're for others who are afraid to speak out. They're for others who have had questions. They're for others who are discerning like, hey, there's something fundamentally wrong here. But I, do, I feel alone or I've been gaslit so much that I think it's, you know, my lack of commitment, that I'm criticizing my leaders, that I'm not plugged in enough. This is for them to say, no, I want better for you. I want better for us. It doesn't have to be this way. Like we get to be creative. For such a creative organization, we, you know, there's such a lack of imagination of how could we reimagine community? How could we reimagine how organizations work and function to the benefit of others, to the liberation of others? We There's so little imagination, so little imagination there. Well, I think because that's not, that's not what it's for. No, that's, right. what they, <laughs> that's what they tell us it's for, mm -hmm. but it's not. We do a lot of singing of chains breaking free, but we, we don't do a lot of freedom fighting. No, because free people think free thoughts and free people have questions. Too many questions. Free people call you into accountability and responsibility to one another because we're all bound to one another and we can't have that, right? No, no, no. So so what do we say to, because when you're in Hillsong, you can't really say anything because you have to honor your leadership. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to be, got to be honoring. And then now that we're out of Hillsong, well, you don't get to say anything because you left. If, if this mattered so much to you, Janae, why did you leave? Why did you give up? <laughs> um, Kane actually asked me that because I left twice. I left in 2018 because I was like, I really can't. Again, I had that question, that reckoning of, I think I'm building more hell 
than kingdom. And I can't, I, 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 I may not, which at the time, you know, I thought I may not be building kingdom right now, but I don't want to keep building hell. And so I walked away um, after questions of, you know, are we affirming of queer people and all these questions of intersectionality came up from leaders and I received really difficult and discouraging answers. Um, but I came back after a really difficult experience of witnessing my um, friend and her daughter be murdered um, by her husband. And so I was really angry at God, so angry. And I needed something that felt like home. I needed somewhere. At that, t- at that point, I had been looking into new church communities and visiting a couple, but I hadn't really put down roots anywhere. And so there was this pain of, God, where are you? You know, if what I know of you to be true by your character, you are justice oriented and you are compassionate and protective and loving. And I didn't see any of that evident in grappling with this awful um, experience. And so I needed to go back to somewhere that felt like home, that felt familiar. And so came back to Hillsong Um I was just bawling the entire service. And my friend walked me up to Kane. Me and Kane had had a um, relationship and he looked surprised and he's like, you know, you've been gone for almost a year. It was about nine months I had left. Um, Like, why'd you leave? You know, I know you were working on so many things and you cared so much. Why did you leave? And I said, I was, I, I said it all. I was like, you know, I left because of the rape culture. I left because of the racism and the sexism. I left because I could never see, no matter how much of my heart and, and labor I gave to this place, I, could, I never saw anyone that looked like me in leadership. I never saw any of my friends who were beautiful, strong, you know, hardworking, faith-filled, faithful black and brown women. I never saw any of them leading the community in ways that I knew that they were called to do. I just kept seeing the same cookie cutter, white, heterosexual man. Um, I left because of the gaslighting. I left because if I had questions, leaders would scold me um, and make me think I'm crazy and I'm not plugged in enough. So I threw myself into ministry and giving it everything I had. I left because of all these things that I named this. And he was shocked, um, and gave me an analogy of like, well, in a marriage, like if you're committed, like you, you said vows and like you, you stay. And I had this moment and like, I recognized it then, but I was so desperate for community, but I recognized that I'm like, but if that marriage is abusive, telling me to stay committed just because I made a vow, but it doesn't matter the vows that my abusive partner is disregarding. What does that say to me as someone who is being harmed? What does that say to others who continue to with, you know, experience harm and trauma? It's saying that your trauma matters, but your loyalty matters more and you'll be rewarded for it. And instead, what I needed to hear is, I am so sorry that we caused that pain. How can we make this better? And how can we stop causing this pain? but instead I was like oh I gotta be committed you know like I don't want to be someone who left um 
because people who leave, you know, we don't honor goodbyes. We we pretend either that they never existed and we never speak of them or we speak harshly of them of like, oh, they weren't committed. Like they left or they backslidden. I didn't want to be that. I had witnessed that with people who had questioned and left. And I was like, oh, I'll never be that. You know, I, I was fully convinced, you know, I was going to raise my children here. Um, this was my church for the rest of my life. And so I came back because I wanted to be one of the committed doing the work mm -hmm. and I threw myself into it. And then everything came to a head um, this past summer with Carl and the conversation, which you were a witness to, um, which I think should be a whole another episode on its own. <laughs> <laughs> that experience. Um, but after that experience, I realized and the stealing of my work, Ooh. With, <laughs> which we'll, we'll get into that in that second episode. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the taking, which was unnecessary, right? Because I was still wi so willing to put in this work. I was so willing to be on whatever committee, do whatever initiatives. Like I, I created full on plans and gave it to them willingly. Like I was excited. I was like, you know what? Finally, we're getting this conversation going. I am here to do the work. I'm here to continue doing the free work that I've been doing for years. And then to witness that work being accredited to a white man and two other black women who didn't come up with these things. That was really painful. And it, it remind it be your own. Like it be people that root for you on the side, but when it's time to step into the spotlight, they leave you behind and they, they take credit for your work. And that was really painful. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. I don't care to be called the one that, you know, wasn't committed. I was committed, but right. when you abuse and, and misuse and gaslight, I know, I know that there's more for me and that I don't have to accept that. And so you know, being called a gossiper, naysayer. <laughs> uh, and the new one this week, God hater. Ooh, oh, that wounds me. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do hate your God. That is all about profit. That is willing to abuse people. That covers up trauma that gives a free pass to abusers and gaslighters and manipulators and folks who are homophobic and racist and sexist and ableist. Yeah, I do hate that God. I do with a passion and I am committed to naming that that God, your God, serves no purpose here, does not serve me, does not serve people who look like me. And that it's such a limited view of God. It's such a small God because it's, no, it's not even a God. I'm like, no, it's like this, it's a, it's a token. It's just this thing we, we put up and say, look at this. We're doing, we're doing good guys. Look, we have a God, but it's not. Yeah. I'm like, I, at the end of it, I wasn't serving anyone, but Brian Houston. And iterations of him. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> but that's why, you know, back at the beginning, when we were saying, you know, we were doing all this labor and the, the there's no fruit. And I'm like, no, there was, there was fruit. 
it just wasn't it wasn't what they wanted it to be and not what we thought it was supposed to be mm-hmm. but like all of these things I'm like that's that's the faithfulness of divinity I'm like whatever <laughs> whatever I was created to be if I'm an apple seed you can try to turn me into an orange all day long and you can you know plant me in that soil and treat me however you would treat an orange tree and either I'm just not going to grow or I am but I'm still going to be an apple tree yeah and it's like you like I said there were there were seeds of you and you were trying to fit into the system and trying to you know feed that system with what you had and they're like no we don't want that we don't no no they certainly did not um, and they wanted parts of it, right? They were okay. Carl was okay with um, certain aspects of it, but again, it's the honoring of the whole self. I couldn't, I couldn't bring my whole self. I had to make small betrayals, and I wasn't willing to do that anymore. And that's why I say it be your own. You know, it's it be your own self. It be your own pastor. It be your own kin. It'd be your own partner. Um, Matt and I had to unlearn so much from Hillsong culture to really cultivate a relationship that honored our whole selves and and honors our whole marriage now. Um, It'd be your own sister friend who looks just like you, who you aspire to become because they're the one person who made it on staff that looks like you and realizing like they are both the prisoner and the prison guard and forgiving them and forgiving yourself of the time that you got talked into and you talked yourself into or you got gaslit and you gaslit yourself of like you know what like I should um maybe I should pray a little harder maybe I should uh, extend a little bit more um, humility um, and grace. Maybe I should honor more my leaders. You know, they're under so much pressure. Um, and so I, I'm i critical. And so I need to do more work. I need to be more plugged in. Um, it's a be your own. And that can, you can, ex- you can insert so many things into that. It'd be your own, it be your own trauma bond. Listen, oof. Yeah. And be your own trauma. No. So yeah, you, you're definitely going to have to come back on <laughs> because that is the part two of that. I mean, looking back at it now, it's no surprise we weren't allowed to honor our whole selves or show up as our whole selves because like, yeah, we will talk about that incident with Carl, but then to also talk about Carl and be like, well, how could he allow anyone else to show up as their whole self? He wasn't yeah. showing up as his whole self. It's unclear if he even knows, you know, who that is. Mm -hmm. This is a place built on facades. You know, whatever part of you works at the moment, that's what we'll that's what we'll take. That's what we'll use. And the rest of you, we're not concerned about. Yeah, just the damage that does. I can only honor as many parts of you as I can like deal with it myself. Like so it's it's no surprise. On so many levels, when you look back on it, you know, well, of course, of course, this is how it went. Yeah. Of course, this was how people are treated. Yeah, absolutely. And I try to extend that for everyone, like even even leaders or quote unquote pastors um, <laughs> that I've, you know, 
was hurt by or disappointed in, I realized you are not being your whole self because you can't be your whole self in this place. And I wish that for you, but I no longer feel responsible for having to witness you become your whole self because I've realized if I remain, um, I will be crushed. I will be drowned. I will be abused to the point where it is no longer safe for me emotionally and spiritually to sustain myself. It's unsustainable. And so I I hope that for you, but I, I, I don't have to bear witness to it. Beautiful. So before we, yeah, because we can, as we often do, <laughs> go on. We always say, oh, we're just going to check in for like, you know, 20 minutes, three hours later. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that today. So, Janae, what is something you believe or believe in? Mm, I believe in accountability and responsibility (laughs) I I, I do I believe in accountability and responsibility to one another I believe that our liberations are bound to one another and so we should always be co-conspirators to one another's struggles and rejoicers to one another's joys I believe that we have an obligation to fully emerge ourselves to the best of our abilities and capabilities in honoring folks whole self in being intersectional i believe in restorative justice i believe in this concept of resurrection that something can die and something anew can come and be birthed um i believe in reconciliation um and i believe in forgiveness and and growth and i i'm a big believer in questions um <laughs> especially about policies and what your credentials um but i i believe in, in honoring our distinct identities and experiences and honoring honoring that within others um and building life giving and affirming communities um and organizations that's what i believe that's something i those are some things i believe in i love it and i believe in you <laughs> That's not news to you. You've you've been known that. (laughs) Because, yeah, at the end of the day, it be your own and I need it to be. Yes. It be your own that does harm, but it be your own that brings healing too. We gonna be all right. I believe that. You believe that? I do. I do. Amen. I don't know when, (laughs) but it will, it will be. Amen and then some. So that's that and that's a wrap on episode 2.5. As I was editing this, I realized there's a stretch of time from 2016 to 2017 that has become one of those pockets of time that always feels like it was just last year. But it wasn't. It was four and almost five years ago and the world has changed so much. We have changed so much. And there's still so much to change, but it's possible. Nothing happens overnight, but it's all happening all the time. And it's an honor to get to spend time as part of the journeys. So thank you, Janae, for talking with me, not just on this episode, but throughout life in general. And thank you for listening in on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll take a moment to jump on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. 
And while you're out there on the internet, be sure to follow this podcast at God Has Not Given on Instagram and check out the blog at GodHasNotGiven.com. Hit the show notes for all the links. Tell your friends. Be well, and I will talk to you soon. I am an e-